If you want to be a premier cop, then you need to learn from the premier police training company in the land. Of course, I'm talking about Street Cop Training. They've got dozens of instructors out in the field right now, sharing their expertise in narcotics, interdiction, report writing, first aid, mental health, case law, and just quality police work. And those aren't even all the topics. There's literally something for everybody. I've attended several classes myself, and I can tell you that these folks cannot miss. Dennis Benino, the owner, is doing massive things for the world of law enforcement at a time when everyone else seems to be running away from it. Street Cop Training is literally the best in the business. Check out their private Instagram and join their law enforcement-only Facebook group to get free trainings, and then check out upcoming in-person and on-demand trainings at streetcop.com. You will not be disappointed. Did you know that in the years 2017 to 2018, the American obesity rate was over 42%? Did you further know that police officers are 25% more likely than the average American to die from obesity-related illnesses? These are diseases like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and high blood pressure. So what do we do? Do we continue to stay victims to shift work and terrible nutrition options while going call to call? Or do we do something about it? Well, I decided to do something about it, and that's why I started working with Nick Wall Nutrition. Nick is one of less than 100 professional nutritionists in the entire United Kingdom and has worked with many professional athletes from soccer, rugby, cricket, and even Team Great Britain. And all of his plans are backed by pure scientific evidence. Eating the foods you love and losing weight doing it. No fad diets, no pills, no powders, and no god-awful detox teas. Nick is the real deal and was named Nutrition Specialist of the Year for the year 2019 to 2020. Check him out on Instagram at NickWallNutrition or NickWallNutrition.com and join Nick's team and change your life. The views and opinions expressed on the 10-8 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. This week on the 108 podcast, train like your life depends on it with Puke You Guys. I was going to stick my fingers up somebody's booty hole. I had the rest of this beard to be like, Whoa! people just spray and pray and kill all kinds of people. She's a female devil, but she also had male parts. Don't talk shit in another language. The girls that we have. They have been tested by fucking fire. Before I came over here, he's like, I saw you on live PD, and my daughter saw that, and he's like, she's fucking badass. And I wish you would train other women to be like you. I want to make sure that, irrespective of my gender, that I can hold down the fucking floor. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is episode 226 and it is the 10-8 podcast. What's going on? My name is 10-8 and today's guest is named Kat. She goes by the internet handle Pew Pew Goddess and she is bad ass. I mean, you know, I get in a lot of flack on Instagram and it's not fair. It's really not. I call out these Instagram models, these cops that 
put on like a scampy little bikini and then they like you know show off their god-given and or surgeon given assets and then they like show off their patches at the same time or they put on a uniform and blah 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 and i'm like bro and that part doesn't even bother me that much then they turn it into like a modeling career or they you know what what i really got jammed up for or almost got jammed up for was like um OnlyFans or Patreon when I first started the Instagram people had like these pages where they were selling pictures of themselves and I was like this is so unprofessional like I don't care about side hustles if you're a cop and you want to be a model that's fine but you're literally selling nude pictures or like inappropriate pictures to be so closely attached to your police career like it just it didn't make sense to me so i've made a couple memes back in the day it got into this rift with a couple pages i ended up squashing it because it really it didn't matter every once in a while i'll make another post about it and then i've made another meme once where it was uh it wasn't even mine it was this actually forebode the rule that I have that I only post things I make so that way I can speak for them not the person that someone else did and it was somebody and it's the meme where you're like stepping over multiple stairs at once and it was like a female officer and then it was like each step was sleeping with a different rank in the command structure and you know everyone's like oh no all females don't do that and I'm like you're right all females don't do that but do females do that does it happen? Yes, it does. I've witnessed it. I've seen it. You know what I mean? So anyway, I get a lot of flack for that. And the first thing I want to say upmost front and center is I'm not sexist. I'm not misogynistic. I have worked with some badass bitches who worked right next to me and were just as had higher integrity, well, not higher integrity, just as high integrity as me, as anybody else that was out there. And I was happy to work with them, for them, whatever. I've had female supervisors who were da bomb diggity. And when I worked with them, I knew that I had a good supervisor. On the flip side, I've worked with females that I was like, why are you here? You know, and I, if they showed up, I would go, you know what? I need some more backup. I need different backup. I need additional backup. I've had female supervisors that literally got promoted because of their connections. Maybe they didn't sleep with people, but they had connections. Or because they were a woman and there was a quota. It all sucks. It's all stupid. It's all stupid. It's all stupid. It just shouldn't be. We shouldn't be filling boxes just to check boxes. It should be all based on uh, what you bring to the table as a person, not as a female, not as a whatever box needs to be checked. That being said, my guest today is one of those badass bitches. Kat is a cop down in uh, Arizona. She kicks ass, literally, figuratively. She's been on live PD a bunch of times. She is an advocate for training for owning your shit man so i'm really not going to spend much time hyping her up i'm going to let her do it herself by just talking and being as awesome as she is so please check out my interview with cat aka pew pew goddess here on the 108 podcast and here we go look if you had one shot one opportunity seize everything you ever wanted in one moment. Did you capture it? Just 
let it slip. Yo. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop bombs. But he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. The whole crowd goes so loud, he opens his mouth, but the words won't come out. He's choking how? Everybody's choking now. The clock's run out. Time's up. Over. Blow. Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Oh, there goes gravity. This is actually he's so hilarious and like. It's kind of embarrassing to, to say, but um, so I think I was at my agency I'm at presently. Um, I was doing a death investigation, not a big deal. Um, at my first agency I was at, we dealt with a typically different demographic of people. So we weren't really doing a ton of death investigations. It was pretty abnormal for us because we we're generally dealing with younger people that just don't spontaneously die. Okay. So I'm dealing with like my first, like just, um, death of somebody of maybe natural causes, but was at the hospital. So we're doing follow-up medical examiner gets there. Um, my sergeant at the time whom I adore, he's an awesome person. He decides that he's going to mess with me. Of course, of, of course, a dead body call. Perfect for that. Right. So medical examiner gets there, Richard chatting, And I'm like, Hey, tell me some of the things that you're looking at. Some of the outward signs of disease that I might, that might be readily apparent. So he's going through, um, asking some pretty good questions. And so, um, my sergeant's like, Hey, um, are you going to check his, are you going to check his body cavity? I'm like what? And I look over to my FTO and he's looking at me like just dead face. And I'm looking at the medical examiner. And I was like, oh, okay. And he, I'm like, he's like, the, so the medical examiner, again, he's no longer there. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter, but he's like, yeah, so here's what you're going to do. You're probably going to want to double glove up. And then you're just going to go, just go in there, just check that body cavity. And we're talking like, on a male body cavity <laughs> on the lower half. I was like, and I look around and I'm like, these motherfuckers are fucking with me. They've got to be fucking with me. And I look at the room is like, everyone's looking at me like it's, it's dead quiet. No pun. It is, it is dead quiet. And I was like, okay. So I like, and I do this sometimes like awkward thing when I feel really uncomfortable and I'm not really sure what the right emotion is. I just start uncontrollably laughing, cannot control my laughter. Like, and I'm sitting in a room, dead person, two cops and a medical examiner looking at me like I'm a fucking lunatic. I was like, all right, cool. So I'm walking myself through this process mentally. Like I'm going to go through, I'm just going to just two fingers, just go in there. Just don't, don't, we're not going to look, we're just going to go for it. And then I'm like, okay, I've talked myself up and then I'm like this. And he's like, no, just, we're, we're just kidding. I was like, you motherfuckers, <laughs> you motherfucker. I was going to stick my fingers up somebody's booty hole. That's dead. A dead guy's booty hole. <laughs> it's different. It was alive. <laughs> I was going to say, so I'm, I, that was probably one of the funniest rookie stories I ever had. Oh, Cause I'm man. like, okay, I'm like, I don't remember ever doing this before. I don't know if this is like a new agency thing. Like they you guys do. And, but the thing that threw me off is the medical examiner's like, Oh yeah, yeah, this is what we're going to do. I'm like, all right, dope, 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 dope. <laughs> So that's, that's my funny. Story. That's amazing. That's great. That's it's so it, it is fucked up. But I think <laughs> I feel like I feel like we always use the dead body calls to fuck with the rookies. I think that's like a, a rite of passage. I um, felt I, over the summer I was training a gal. Um, I just spoke about her on the last podcast. I did whom I adore. We went to a pretty nasty fatal wreck. And um, I'm like, hey, have you ever have you ever touched a dead person before? And she's like, looking at me like, oh, why? I like, no, I've never touched a dead person before. I'm like, okay, she's going to go in there. And I, I mean, I knew that this person was probably on their way to being dead. I'm like, hey, I want you to check her pulse. And we're going to relay the information accordingly. 
And she walked up and I had to resist the urge. I told her this after the fact, I had to resist the urge to be like, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> she did really well though. She handled herself really well. Cause I'm like, no, I sh- no, that was good. Yeah. So I was on my old department's crime scene team. So I was always at the, the dead body calls and it never really bothered me anyway, even before I was on the unit because going brand new into FTO, I was called the angel of death. I just always oh, had, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every single day there was like a new dead body and it wasn't like a simple, like, Oh, Hey, old man fell asleep and didn't wake up. No, they were gruesome. They were gross. Um, just to run through a few of them. And I've mentioned them in different podcasts, but I had a homicide. My very first dead body was a homicide. The next one was a guy that got hit by a train. The next one was a guy that got hit yeah. by a car, like just gruesome. The first natural causes was a guy who died on the toilet um, yes. or, or like, I don't know what happened. I honestly have no idea, but he was like in, in the bathroom. He had like bloody shit in the toilet, but he was like in the bathroom. Yeah. So I don't know if his stomach blew up or what, but so he was like head first into the tub, right? Of course they always are ripped the uh, shower curtain down with his body with the dead weight. Okay. So it was my job to uh, guard the door. So no one would go in and disturb the body. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing that. And, um, while I'm doing that now, we took the family, we took them out. No big deal. Um, so it's just me standing in the hallway, going to the bathroom and I close the door. My FTO is sitting at the um, kitchen table and my sergeant's like out in the hallway. It's an apartment complex. He's out in the hallway. That's it. There's, that's the only people and, and dead guy in the, in the shower and sitting there waiting for the medical examiner to show up. And I hear something fall in the bathroom. Oh no. I'm like, what the fuck was that? Like, I'm, I'm thinking walking dead. I'm thinking something, yeah. I guess the body was settling or something. And he just yeah. like, but whatever that scared me. So I've always been a part of that. So when I joined the crime scene unit, mm-hmm. you're, you're, when you're, when you're dealing with forensics or medical examiner people or coroner people, they're a little messed up in the head. Right. So <laughs> way, yeah, <laughs> the whole, like you doing a jump scare to your rookie, totally Part for the course and the way that i usually combated that when i thought someone was gonna fuck with me is i would say it out loud first like oh i'd be crazy if he like jumped up right like boom disarmed so it's funny not to like totally like cut you off but nope, it's go ahead. the story that you were just mentioning about your you, you um when house had some what you thought body move i had something ha- like that happen ish um it was a super gnarly decomp i was actually training somebody um, so we get there. I knew it was going to be bad. Like, I was like, oh, I haven't talked to my mom in like two weeks. I'm like, oh, great. It's July. It's Arizona. We're in like one of those prefab homes. So it didn't have AC. So it's probably the ambient air temperature outside. It's maybe like 115 degrees. Oh. We walk in there. So he's a cat hoarder, right? So there's like, there's like hella cat shit everywhere. The cats ate through the floor. So we go there. She's like primordial soup, black, you know, same thing on the toilet, face down surrounded by dead cats right surrounded by dead cats so i'm like fuck we back out and so in in um the area i work medical examiners would be like hey we need you guys to help us with stuff either just helping to move the body because it's usually just us and them you know so i try to be as accommodating as i can and it's a really good training point so we're in this room and at that point uh, oh yeah by the way the ambient air temperature inside of this house is maybe about 100 degrees or more Okay. It's fucking miserable. So Emmy gets there, gives us Tyvek suits. And he's like, Hey, do you guys mind helping like to um, like hold her? Like, so I can take pictures and all this other stuff. So I'm like, okay, this is a great, this is a great training moment for my rookie. Right. And I'm sitting here just like, 
all right, this is terrible. Cause like the, the, there's like dead cat soup and dead people soup, it's black. So then at that point it had gotten dark. So we're sitting there and we, we can hear all the, the, the bugs and shit and you can uh-huh. feel them hitting you. So we're sitting in this room. I'll never fucking forget this shit. I, this is like a horror. I, this is probably one of the few things I've actually had really bad dreams about. We're in there. We're helping me. We're doing our thing. And <laughs> there's like one swinging light ball in this bathroom. Right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And all of a sudden it decides to just fucking die. No. So we're sitting there. <laughs> we're sitting there in this like dead lady soup with dead cats. And there's other cats running around. So there's stuff running around and bugs. bugs my and-, and I'm sitting here like combat breathing. and like, don't have a panic attack. Don't have a panic attack. And my Whatever training- you do, don't faint. Because if you hit the ground... I, it, it, fainting wasn't even an option. It's just like, basically don't freak out because this is just like a horror movie. Uh-huh. Um, and my trainee materialized a freaking flashlight from the depths of his soul oh, to man. illuminate this room. And I'm just like, holy fucking shit. It was awful. Because you could hear, like, again, you could hear stuff flying around. Cats. Cat, there's like 30, 30 plus cats just mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Bugs. Yeah. Yeah. Dead dead guy flies, they fly different than other flies. They they they're they're, they're mean. Yeah, oh and the, yeah. <laughs> like their buzzing is louder than any other fly you've ever seen. It's for, we had one um some some dead guy decomped in a in a backyard somewhere. It was totally messed up, whatever. The first decomp I ever went to actually really bad. Like he was he was a skeleton. And the flies hit my face, and I'm going <laughs> because A, I was a trainee, B morbidly curious, and C I don't even know why. Just, I guess to say I was there and my buddy well, who became my buddy was the CSI and he's taking pictures. He goes, Hey, you know, those flies that are hitting you. I was like, yeah, they're really fucking annoying. He goes, you know where they came from, right? Like dead guy. I was like, ah, oh, man, like that's just not something that you realize. So everybody listening, that's not a cop, never been a part of this. Dead guy flies are totally different than house flies. Okay. Let me tell you. And on top of that, like I said, I'm pretty sure I was breathing in like the hantavirus from like rats and cat mm-hmm. shit and all this other stuff. And then like we were in this dead people goo for probably like six plus hours. Ooh. It was like a long, it could be to wait for the medical examiner to get there, help him out. And again, there's some people that will straight up say, no, I'm not going to help. I'm like, okay, this is a really good, tra- this is a good training moment. But mm-hmm. <laughs> that was one of the few things I've had that like just etched into my brain. Yeah. And I, I had bad dreams about that shit for a while. Yeah. That's so so you were in there for six hours. You couldn't like step outside and like just secure the residence. You had to stay inside of it. We were helping him out primarily like manipulating the body. So he, he was there for six hours. All of us were, we were there. Cause we, we get there, get the ME. Well, we were waiting for the medical examiner to get there. So we step out at that point and we're just talking to the family. Gotcha. Right? Okay. Okay. So yeah. We're so, just, so the moment you got on scene to the moment you left six hours. Ish. Oof, that's a long time to be out with a, soupy dead guy yeah rough times yeah yeah all right so we're gonna that's gonna conclude our dead guys topic for today <laughs> no more <laughs> oh we could go we could do an entire hour on it but um there's so much more i want to talk about ladies and gentlemen welcome to the show my friend kat she is a deputy from arizona how are you today i'm spectacular and you i'm wonderful thank you so much for joining me we've i've tried to link up with you for this show for probably a year at this point it's been a minute. And yeah, like we were talking about before, like, I feel like I've been trying to link up with all these people, but then like back surgery happened and COVID. So like my schedule just kind of went like crazy. And now I'm starting to get back on to more like 
being a normal human being again. And we're so happy. I'm so happy to have you on uh, a okay. little, little jealous of blue line millennial for getting you first, but that's quite all right. You know, <laughs> it happens, uh, you know, in, in this business, you know, you got to get, you got to get the guests when you can. So, yeah. Um, yeah. but I'm super glad to have you on here. We've talked for a long time. Actually, we talked before even Instagram uh, way back in the Facebook days and the sheepdog yep. nation days. Yep. So, yep. Um, how are you? Um, why don't you go ahead for people that don't know you introduce yourself and uh, we'll just kind of roll from there. I'm Kat. Um, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. I moved out to Arizona to go to graduate school at ASU. Um, and uh, let's see, I started working at an agency in the Valley for about a year. It wasn't really a good trip for me. Um, I've been at my present agency now for seven years. So total eight years. Um, did some other things kind of related to law enforcement for a couple of years, working in immigration, doing detention. Um, so I've gotten a little, little gamut of everything. And then um, also too, when I came out here for school, I was an undergraduate teaching. Um, I did undergraduate teaching assistant for statistics. Fun fact. So, okay. Something totally different. Something totally different. So, so is that, that's what you went to undergrad for was stats? No. I actually went to got my, my undergrad degree is in criminal justice. My master's is in, in criminal justice, but okay. um, I was considering there for a while getting a PhD. I probably will at some point in time, but um, I'm a huge nerd. Like I talked about in my other podcast. Mm. So um, it just, it was a good fit and I, I really enjoyed doing it. It just pays like shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I um, <laughs> way, way back long time ago before law enforcement was a thing for me. Um, I was also looking to go PhD at one point. Um, then law enforcement happened. I got significantly dumber. I don't know if I'm going to go back that route, but, uh, we'll see life is a long time. So we'll see what goes, but that's yeah. so cool. Um, I'm glad you got out of Detroit. I think, uh, I don't know what, so that that's gotta be my first question going from the culture of Detroit to the culture of Arizona, totally yes. different, right? It was a big culture shock and in a way that's probably unexpected. Mm-hmm. So I grew up incredibly blue collar, um, my dad works in the auto industry. My mom works for a Catholic hospital. Um, you know, so everywhere where I grew up, I grew up in a very diverse area. Like all my friends are all different backgrounds, but we're all pretty much just, you know, middle-class. Right. So when I moved out here, it was the first time I'd seen people that were like ridiculously wealthy. So I came out here, I drove my 1998 Ford, um, escort two cylinder fucking piece of shit car out here. And then I go to graduate school and I'm paying for this myself. You know, my parents couldn't afford to send me to school. So everything was on me. And I'm, there's people in my, in my school there from like Laguna beach driving like Range Rovers. And to me, it was almost like a, it was like a a culture shock. It was super strange. And I know that sounds odd. Um, and I remember the first time I had ever gone out, um, in Scottsdale, old town Scottsdale, I had to get my car valley parked and I had a girl look at me and she's like, I can't believe you would drive that to get your car valley parked, like super rude and snotty. And I, I, I had never, and I'm very aggressive. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing too, is like people from back home, they'll call you on your bullshit. They'll be like, yeah, go fuck your face. But here they're not that same way. So when I moved here and I talked to people, sometimes because I have a tendency to talk fast and uh, aggressively, they, they, they just perceive it as aggressive, being aggressive, even if it's not that. Right. Very direct and very blunt. So that's the other thing. Um, but I will say this. Detroit gets a bad rap about, yeah, there's crime there. Of course, we all know that Um, it's different. It's a different type of crime. Cause I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's probably some tiny bit of cartel influence, but here in Arizona, everyone's got a firearm. There is cartel up the wazoo. So 
versus I, the way that I see things back there. And I worked in all different parts of Detroit or downtown, east side, west side, everywhere. I never had anyone mess with me. I, you know, people might steal your shit, but unless you're, you know, doing some business, like not copacetic, people generally are going to leave you alone. And sometimes, yeah, innocent people get caught in the crosshairs versus here. We're just people just spray and pray and kill all kinds of people. It's just a different, it's a different rules of engagement, I guess it, as it were. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. And that's what I've heard a lot in just the Southwest in general, when you talk about like New Mexico, Texas, Mm -hmm. even Southern California, that's kind of just the name of the game. That's the, the way of the West. But then, you know, the more I talk to people and the more exposure I get, because same ignorance thinking that, oh, Detroit's like the crime capital of the world or whatever. It's the same problems in any big city. Like it's nothing that you don't hear about in Chicago or New York or, you know, even smaller big cities. The thing that really sucks about Detroit is that um, their politicians have failed the city, like the people that work there and live there um, for a long, long time to include their police and fire, because for a while there, um, there were so many people that were retiring there. They couldn't pay out people that were retiring from police and fire. They couldn't pay their pensions out. That's fucked up. So you have people that like legitimately work their asses off for the government. And because somebody in the city manager's office or um, former mayor of um, Detroit, Kwame Kilpatrick embezzling money, you know, now we can't pay all these people that legitimately earned. That's fucked mm-hmm. up. So, I mean, I will say this, that the, the politicians there have done them a gross disservice. It's a great place. Um, it's been revitalized so much since I've like grew up there. My family is still all that out there. Um, and like what I talked about before is like people there truly have grit. They have what I would call like hustle because you know what your options there are you just don't fucking survive or you fucking survive. You figure it out. And if you can't do it legitimately, people find a way to do it illegitimately, right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, but you can apply that same concept of hustle or grit to just a normal person and, you know, legitimate activities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I get that. And even me growing up, well, not growing up, but when I moved to Florida, I was on the East Coast in kind of it's kind of a bastardization to say it's the Detroit of Florida, but (laughs) rougher, um, kind of grimier. Like you said, there's grit. They get stuff done. We're down here. You, my, my ride to work. I see Range Rovers. I see Maseratis, Teslas everywhere. So totally, you know, a different environment where up there, there would, you may see a, you know, a Maserati or a Tesla, but it was not every single car going on the way to work. So, And the the people, you know, the people want to say that a um, the the millennials or the gen, what are we at, Gen Zs, that they are entitled. I would say that the older generation is way more entitled than the younger generation. Um, Yes and no. I I guess you can kind of dissect that either way, Um, because the way I I see, or or maybe maybe we're just all uh, entitled in different ways. Maybe that's a Entitled in different ways, I think, is yeah. probably a better characterization of that, yes. Yeah, so, you know, but that also kind of goes to speak about the way we police in those neighborhoods and those areas mm-hmm. as well, because, you know, people, like you said, so so you're talking about, you know, getting your car valet parked and some lady giving you some shit for it, and then, <laughs> and then, and then you call her out about it, and then she oh, feels yeah. some type of way. Right, exactly. Yeah. So probably I'm just guessing same way when you're working the street, you can talk to a complainant one way in New York, uh, in Detroit and another way in 
Arizona where it's, you can't, it can't do the same way. I would say yes. With the caveat being is the area that I work right that I presently work is a little bit more, I'd like to call it Arizona's version of Detroit. Sometimes it's a rougher area. It's a higher crime area. Um, so I might interact differently than someone does that's working in like parts of, you know, the Metro, Metro Phoenix Valley, Scottsdale, Gilbert, Chandler, the nicer areas. So yeah. it's just different. I could probably get away with a little bit more just because like I, like I've said before, calling somebody sir or ma'am and if you're working in the hood, they're going to laugh. Oh, at you. that, they're, yeah. They're, no. they're only going to like eat you for breakfast. And you're like, <laughs> they'll, they'll be offended straight up. <laughs> I don't even think they'll get offended. See, here's the thing that the younger ones, they're not even going to offend it. That's not even going to register to them. Like you're going to be a joke to them. Now <laughs> I used to work in the hood. And if I, to- if I told grandma or grandpa and I called them, sir, or ma'am, Oh, that was great. And, th- and then I'd be a honey. I'd be baby. I'd be sure. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's different. That's good to go. But yeah. we're talking the players on the street. No, you don't yeah. say, sir, ma'am. You're like, listen, boss, or listen, man, listen, whatever. I, even in the hood, like, dude wouldn't fly. I would call people dude, and that wouldn't fly. So I, mm-hmm. I would, hey, man, what's up, boss? Like, whatever. Like, that was <laughs> the vernacular. And people look at, and I always said that, like, I'm from Jersey, and I don't really have a Jersey accent. But if mm-hmm. I dropped an R every once in a while, <laughs> people treated me differently, and people thought I was crazy. But it's like that. Some it's funny because sometimes, especially in Arizona, people don't know how to perceive me. Mm-hmm. Um, the area that I work is, um, I would say probably more predominantly Hispanic, um, native, a little bit of black, and then the rest are white. So you have a, like a, a large, like melting pot, lots of different people from different backgrounds. Um, and typically you don't know how to perceive me because like, I am like glow in the dark colored white. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but when I talk to people, you know, like I would talk to people from back home. They're just like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people are like, wait, are you white? You know, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny. They'll ask me too, like, where are you from? And like, oh, I'm from Detroit. They're like, oh, oh shit. Or, yeah. you know, they see, they'll see the tattoos and they, that's another conversation piece as well. So sometimes like the initial, people's initial perception of me is generally like by the end of our interaction, they're totally different totally different yeah yeah i've noticed you know i've got a few tattoos here and there but Mm -hmm. you know i've talked to people with full sleeves hand tattoos or whatever you know like Mm -hmm. maybe they got hand tattoos before they got hired whatever a lot of places are frowned upon that but those you know i don't understand agencies that don't accept the full sleeve tattoos like first off it it disarms people because they're like oh you got you got full sleeve tattoos and you're the popo hold on a second and like then (laughs) It's a cover. It's a it's an icebreaker. Like you start talking yeah. about like what you got inked, where you got it, and oh, yeah, you know, for for people with tattoos, that is like that's good as gold. I think it's a great conversation piece because I mean, if you think about it, a lot of people, I'd say ninety nine percent of the people I've inter- ever interacted with that have done time, like time time, they all have fucking ink. So the minute they see your ink, they're like, oh dude, that's good shit. Where'd you get it at? What does it mean or whatever? So then you get on a conversation like, Hey, show me what you've got. And then in them, I'm like, Hey, you know, tell me about that. Tell me a story about it. Like I just had this dude, it was like the most random. I just interacted with him a couple of weeks ago who showed me his like back piece that he got in, in DOC. I was like, he's like, yeah, I was kind of embarrassed about it, but he wanted to show it to me. It was a, it was a female devil, but she also had male parts. Oh, it was a super strange. I was like, all right, dope, 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 dope. So tell me story behind this. I'm like, I gotta know. But it's cool because when you when you um especially people that are not in the game anymore, they'll tell you straight up because I mean 
you know, it's their, it's their experiences. They want to talk about them. Um, and then even too dealing with people that are like, you know, bad man pajamas, like you can tell, like, homie, you got like a clown on your face. Like you made a decision at some point that you were going to go like the other way. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you ask them, Hey dude, like, tell me about that. What does that mean? And if, unless they're high in meth and you're going to get nowhere, you're going to have a circular conversation about rocks, but yeah, (laughs) they they appreciate that conversation. Like I like it. So I think it's a good icebreaker. Cause like I said, all these guys that have done stuff or gals too, they all have ink. So when they see that it's very disarming. You know, what else is a good time to start talking about tattoos is when you're talking to someone in crisis, like when they're like, not sure if they're going to come down from their crisis, like, you know, suicidal person or someone who's in a, in a manic state or something, start talking about tattoos. I've noticed that works so well. Like, Hey man, what's that tattoo? Then suddenly their mind is off of whatever's bothering them. They're talking about that unless, which I've seen before, like it's a trigger for them. Like, Oh, it's about my daughter who's dying. Ah, like, yeah, you know, that is a bad thing. Then it goes the other way. But most times mm-hmm. it's something good. And I've noticed, I've seen it multiple times. And like, I have one tattoo on my forearm that I just got. So that never really worked. Usually my tattoos were covered by my sleeves. So I mm-hmm. couldn't really pull that card. So I would be pulling other shit. Like, you like baseball? Like, you know, like I'm reaching at straws here. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, oh, what do we talk? This is awkward. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have a funny, I have a funny tattoo conversation story though, that I have to say. Do it. Um, so through the course of the different jobs I've done, I have acquired a pretty good working grasp of the Spanish language. People don't know that. Um, so I could do basic traffic stops, interdiction, interdiction stops, um, basic, basic interviews. Um, so I was doing a traffic stop. Um, I was talking to a passenger on traffic stop. They're like, Hey cat, go talk to him. And I was like, okay. So we were just, you know, just BSing. Um, and the guy clearly was like, mm, talking to me, trying to get, flirty, which is super weird in a different language. So he was uh, asking me about my tattoos and um, he's like, Hey, are you going to get more tattoos? And I was like, I was just being, you know, smart ass. He was like, yeah, I was thinking about getting some lips and I was going to get them on my ass. Okay. I don't recommend this sometimes, especially if you have a brain fart, don't talk shit in another language because sometimes <laughs> it, it has this effect. Uh-huh. So instead of saying I was going to get lips on my ass, cause I was just being funny at this point. Right. Cause I'm, I'm trying to divert him away from what's going on over there. Mm-hmm. So we're just, I'm like, Hey friend, let's have a conversation over here. I accidentally told him I was going to his lips on my ass. <laughs> and this guy, he was like, Ooh. I'm just like, fuck. Cause after, <laughs> after it, there are some things that'll take me a minute, but just some words or phrases. Sometimes I just a little slow on the uptake. And I realized that after I saw his facial expression, I said, I was like, fuck, no, wait, no, uh, uh. Super awkward. Don't recommend. Yeah. yeah. That, that <laughs> takes me back to like fourth grade Spanish class where they're like, make sure you conjugate properly. You want to get the right subject, oh, subject wor- verb agreement. It's different though. Like, so speaking Spanish, um, and especially in the areas that I'm working in, a lot of it's, especially it's very regionally based. So if mm. you have someone that's from super close, like in Sonora, Mexico, they're going to speak Spanish differently than someone that's like, you know, you know at a different part of Mexico, Baja California, or even Central America. So a lot of the slang that they talk is um, very regional based. It's in its a lot of its slang, especially if you have people aren't formally educated. So sometimes it kind of, it's a lot to, it's a lot to kind of take in. And those, so, like I said, sometimes I make bugaboos, like gross bugaboos like that, where I'm just like, yeah, my bad. Sorry. Did not mean that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was a uh, they were putting on a, a class nearby. It was Spanish for law enforcement. So I wonder if it's like legit, like workable Spanish or if it's like 
we're back to grade school and teaching like Gato in Biblioteca. I'm sure it's probably just like general stuff like, how are you? What's your name? Where are you from? Where are you going? Birthday? Um, or just like, I would assume probably things are very pertinent to like, you know, doing a high risk stop, asking someone like, uh, do you have a gun? Mm-hmm. You know, things that are very job specific versus sure. just, you know, está la biblioteca? You know? <laughs> right, right. Which is, that's, yeah. that's my go-to. I always encourage people to do it because it's, it opens, it opens that up, that communication level up to so many more people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we have, especially in the area I work, we have people that have lived in Arizona for a long time, but maybe aren't comfortable speaking to the law to the police in English, even though they can. So sometimes it it's advantageous. Sure. And, sure. And they, sometimes it also works in my favor because people don't think that I can speak Spanish again, whitish, whitish glow in dark shade of white. So they'll say things and I'm like, hello, especially when I worked in, um, in prison, like they'd say shit, they'd, they'd talk shit to me and I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. Did you, did you say, do you have something to say? Yeah. 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 It's good. It's true. It's a good, it's a good, um, kind of like a secret weapon to have, you know, people start saying things and they don't know you're listening basically. So you gotta, you have an ear to the ground without knowing. Yes, definitely. Nice. So one of the topics that we wanted to talk about today had to do with you being a female in a largely male dominated profession, right? That's, that's not a, uh, a statement that is unknown. It's not like, oh, shit, there, there's more guys in law enforcement than women. No way. Like, I'm not, we're not breaking the thing here. But, you know, what, what I get in trouble with on Instagram is when I make a meme and it says something to the effect of, you know, the female may have um, gotten her position from other means. And and I always have to like backpedal, like, no, I'm not saying all females. I'm saying that there are females, just like there are males Mm -hmm. that use other means besides their skills and abilities to get where they need to go. And I've always messaged you because I've always respected you hundred percent. I'm like, Cat, you know that's not what I mean. And you're like, yeah, no, I know. Yeah. But yeah. So I wanna I wanna take this time because <laughs> I always go to you and uh-huh. um and address the elephant in the room. So let's let's talk about this. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty and go ahead. Tell me your experiences being a female in law enforcement. How's it been for you? It's strange. So I will say um my experiences now at my present agency have been phenomenal despite the fact that we have so few women, we're like so far below the natural average for women versus my first agency where we'd say, I'd say we were 74 and we had about 10. Um, in that circumstance, I feel like a lot of the women, there were a lot of infighting, which is sad because you're just like, dude, there's so few of us. We should all be on the same page, but you have personality conflicts, jealousy issues, whatever it is, things that are not, you know, I'm just like, I don't want any part of this, That which it sucks. I, I don't like, like feeling like that, but my present agency, I will say this, we have so few women and all the women that we have. I'm so, I'm so proud of all of them because they really fucking hold it down. And I say that because there's so few of us, you really have to be on top of your shit even more so because you are really fucking alone. Mm -hmm. Right. So we get put in the same positions as the dudes do and I'm, I'm not speaking ill about these agencies that have like tons of backup and tons of other women. That's not what I mean, but it makes you think more. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the girls that we have, they have been tested by fucking fire. Right. So I'm, I'm really proud because there's so few of us and that makes me even more proud. And on top of that, 
and I say this, and this applies to men as well. I like to hold myself to a higher standard, right? Because I tell this to all my trainees too. Nobody cares if you're on the road, if you're a good looking female, they don't give a fuck. Bad guys are still going to attack you. They're still going to try to hurt you. They're still going to try to manipulate you. You have to be aware of that. So that means, so I get to that end, I get a little bit irritated sometimes with the Instagram model cops because like, that's great. And I appreciate the fact that you can do all of those things, but in a working environment, no one cares, Right. you know, um, I've, the guys I work with know that I can hold my shit. And I had one of them actually last week tell me, um, he sat down and he, he was a lot of from another agency. He was like, cat, before I came over here, he's like, I saw you on live PD and my daughter saw that. And he's like, she's fucking badass. And he's like, and I knew when I came over here and I worked with you, he's like, I know you can handle your shit. And I wish you would train other women to be like you. And I was like, you know, that, that kind of hit me in the feels. Cause I, I like to hold myself to a higher standard just overall in general, because I mean, unfortunately, are we scrutinized more than our male counterparts? Of course, that's just the nature of the beast because we're outnumbered. But that being sa- said, I guess um, I want to make sure that irrespective of my gender, that I can hold down the fucking fort. Right. You know, and I, I think, think, I think you're right. I think at, at the very base of it, right. It doesn't matter if you're a guy, it doesn't matter if you're a girl, yeah. whatever you identify as at the end of the day, it is important to know if you're mm-hmm. my partner that yeah. you can, you get first off that you can handle yourself. But mm-hmm. more importantly, that you can back me up and I know you got my back. Like, yeah. it's one thing, you know, we all say like, hey, I got your six. I got you, bro. Don't worry. Yeah. Cool. Okay, then fucking do it. You know, that's 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 where where the metal hits the road. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can talk all that shit. But if I got Mr. 500 pounds, takes 10 minutes to get out of his car, you ain't <laughs> running to me, bro. Like, I don't care mm-hmm. what you say. You got my six. You got me in 60 minutes, maybe. But you don't got my six. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've told my coworkers, too. I'm like, I want you guys to all understand what that means for me is like, I can fucking shoot. I can fucking fight. I might not be as big or strong as you guys, but I can fucking, I will do it literally to the death. Mm -hmm. I am strong enough to pull you, all you motherfuckers with all your shit on out of any situation that we can. Okay. So I think that's really important for people to understand. So I, I, and I've been lucky. Um, I didn't have any female mentors at my first agency, um, there's a lot of strong women at my agency that I've sought out and had like, you know, Hey, tell me, how did you get to your position? And I'm fortunate that I have that. And I realize that not other people have that other agencies. So it's cool that social media has been able to connect me with some people that in are in these small agencies that they're the only female. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what that's like, I know it's like sometimes to be the only one not to be able to ask questions to. Um, so that's a cool position that social media has been. Yes. And that's why I like pages like you and there's mm-hmm. others out there um, where, where you're a strong female, you're good at your job and you are that, that pillar kind of in a, in a sea of nonsense to go, Hey, like, and I, I tell like, people are like, Hey, like who's a good female cop to talk to. I send them to you every time. I'm like, this chick, she's the one she's got it. Yeah. Um, because we, we need good role models. You know, we look at people, up and down, you know, everyone knows I'm tight with street cops. So I always send them to Dennis or I send them to Kenny or whoever. Yeah. And then, you know, you're the female side of it. And then there's just others. Like, I'm like, well, what are you looking for? Like, do you want like someone mm-hmm. like mental health or you want like, like, what do you want? And I, and I help them out. 
And it's so important because there's so much nonsense out there for every good cop. There's 25 TikTok cops, you know, and it's just like, we, we, <laughs> oh, I just gave you an aneurysm with that one. It's TikTok thing. I, so again, I understand that people use Instagram as like a side hustle and it, it sounds weird coming from me because I do have a large following, but I, I don't use it as a, it's not a monetary thing for me. And if people want to make it a monetary thing, cool, do it. The thing that I'm vehemently against is I don't like the TikTok stuff. Um, I mean, maybe if you're in a position where you're in a PIO role, okay, uh-huh. maybe, uh-huh. but I don't, I don't like it because instead of that time that you're spending doing dumb shit on duty, why don't you get together with your squad and go over building clearing? Mm-hmm. Why don't you go over with your squad about, Hey, if this happens, then I'm going to do this. Why don't you go practice dry firing? You know, why don't you go do a fucking workout? That's just my, it's my thing. And I'm not, there's some people that I, I like that I respect that I know they're on TikTok and I'm not, I'm not hating on some of them, but I just don't, I don't understand it, I guess. Yeah. I see. And I think it goes back to the same thing with like female cops, right? Just show mm-hmm. me you can do your job. Here's the thing. And, and this comes from the guy who runs an Instagram page, who does try to make a couple bucks on the side from it, who now does the podcast and who started it while he was actively on the job. But I was still pulling arrests. I was still yeah. running backup. I was still, you know, so that's that's the one part of it, right? And mm-hmm. if you're using your Instagram, your TikTok, whatever your social media platform is for a good purpose, mm-hmm. I can get with that. It's the mm-hmm. ones that are literally just standing in an empty parking lot dancing for no reason. Like, I never understood, and I was guilty of it too, <laughs> but I never understood during COVID when we weren't really stopping people why people use that as a time to do nothing. I didn't get that. There's so much stuff. Like you said, everything you just listed, dry firing, working out, getting with your squad and figuring shit out. Great time for it. I wasn't granted that because during COVID I wasn't on patrol and my sergeant was a Nazi and we still had to work. Um, (laughs) But which is fine. That's, that's perfectly fine. But I, you know, every once in a while we were, we were just assigned to, Hey, Stay in this parking lot, making sure no one breaks in. And so we did, you know, we did that. And then we would go to the next one and then we go to the next one. But you can, even in that role, right. Where you are literally just parked in front of that shopping yeah. mall, whatever, pull up some case law, pull up your agency yes. directives. Yes. There's always stuff to do that. I don't get the dancing and the, the like, you know, people like Mike, the cop and, and, uh, and Daniels and those guys, they made, you know, they made their name for making funny videos and I, and I get it right now. Everyone mm-hmm. thinks like, Oh, I can do it. Like, no, stop. I, I like, I like both of those guys too. But yeah, I, so do I, but yeah, but I see, I, I get exactly what you mean. Like, um, and I think that's the kind of, that's the stuff that bothers me and I see it more so with the younger set. And, um, right. I had, there's a story that really stood out to me from a couple years ago from Instagram. And I, this young, I think her name is Megan. I can't remember her last name. Super beautiful gal. She was a deputy. I want to say in California doing this, you know, whole, again, beautiful, like post pictures in uniform. That's great. Cool. I'm not, again, please understand. I'm not hating on girls that do that. Cause I know there are some that do that occasionally and still work, but, um, she did the TikTok thing and everything like that. And, um, I remember because it made the news and then she just disappeared from social media. There was a, somebody had recorded it where she got into a circumstance where due to a lack of training and Monday morning quarterback, in, in my perception, lack of training or lack of confidence in your skills almost got her killed. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about those things and it sticks with me. And I don't know if it's just a younger cop thing. Cause I see it a lot in the younger set. They yeah. like, want, you know, so again, I don't know. And I, I feel so terrible cause I know she's a young mom. I don't believe she's on the job anymore, mm-hmm. but I think some people haven't had those either from a lack of exposure at their agency, or they just haven't had those moments yet where they're, they sit. And I've had moments where I fuck shit up and I think about it like, fuck. I was so big when I was active on the road to watching my old body cameras, because you think about it, right? If you're an athlete, you're going to watch game film and you're going to make sure that how you're performing is up to par. And the best way to do that is to watch yourself do the job. And I, I got, to a good point where I was like, okay, I really know how I'm standing, you know, when I approach cars and stuff, but then I would watch one, like maybe I had a funny video and I'm reviewing it or whatever. And I would mm-hmm. see my buddy. I, I remember this clear as day. It was a DUI investigation. I go on the passenger side to make my first approach. My buddy comes up on the driver's side. Okay, cool. We got contact cover. I'm good with that. He is standing square in the window. Oh boy. I'm like, and I, I, I after I watched it later, cause we were, I watched it again for the funny part of the thing. I was like, dude, why <laughs> like what were you doing so and and he's younger than me significantly younger than me so i think you're right i think you know we need our younger cops right and it's funny saying that because you know you've got like seven years on i've got about six so we're not old you know we're not old and salty but when we say younger cops like it's they're baby cops it seems I think, like i think a lot of that too also is um not having honest conversations with each other on a squad or a departmental level yeah. Um, I just talked about this with one of my good friends here. We were talking about um, a call. This is like years ago in my old region where I had screwed something up tactically. It was a learning lesson. Afterwards, he came and he's like, what the fuck did you do? That was fucking stupid. I was like, you know what? That was fucking stupid. And someone after the fact was like, oh, someone's talking shit. I was like, no, he wasn't. He was correcting that an error that I made. And I, I appreciate that feedback from my coworkers because I expect if I fuck shit up, I want them, I want them to tell me. And likewise, if they fuck some shit up and I'm not talking about you do something differently than I would have, right. you, you're doing a fundamental error that could get you killed. Like standing in the middle of a doorway, you're, you know, you're walking around from the passenger side in front of, you know, in front of the car that's running with bad guy that you're going to get, getting ready to arrest and going and approaching on the driver's side. So this person can clearly run you over. Yeah. We need to have honest conversations about these things. So when I see like that gal from um, California I was just talking about, I don't know if it's just someone not holding her accountable as a squad mate as well. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Because if, yeah. And, and I, I worry, I worry about two things with that one that we're afraid to hurt feelings. Now, you know, everyone's yeah. gets so butthurt and they're like, they, they can't take a honest criticism as in, Hey, I don't want you to die. This is what I saw. And then mm-hmm. they're going to get butthurt and be like, Oh, you're just picking on me. Um, or the opposite of that is arrogance where they hear him like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You know what I mean? And both of them are very bad. I think we need to be, we need to breed in our academies that, Hey, feedback is good. It's not always just to cut you down. It's to save your life nine times out of 10. Yes. And on the, and, and be open about it. Like, don't, don't block it off. So be accept. it all comes down to accept criticism. Don't, you don't know shit un- unless no, I'm going to take that back. I was going to say, unless you got time on, but even then you can still learn shit. You can still fuck shit up. So I think that really needs to be hammered into people is just don't fear giving advice and don't fear taking it. It's not just to Mm -hmm. cut you down. It's, it should never be to cut you down. 
And one of the other things I had mentioned too in another podcast, that was like the fundamental light bulb moment as well. Like also like looking at mistakes in hindsight and learning from them is getting additional training. Cause mm-hmm. it, there's literally a name for it, the Dunning-Kruger effect. We, the more you start to learn, the more you realize you don't know shit. Yeah. Right. So the deeper you get into whatever, for me, it was shooting. You realize you're like, well, fuck, I thought I was on point, but I, I guess I really don't know because I'm getting outshot by all these people. Like I said, with uncle Mike's fucking holsters and like a, you know, rusty ass 1911, just out the fuck out of me. And I do this for my job. So that's the other part of it too, is having that light bulb moment of, wow. I, you know, cause we think as cops, we learn all these things. We got this, we're good. But I mean, how many of us spend extra time to be more proficient at what our deficiencies are? Right. That's having an honest, an honest conversation with yourself. And then my honest conversations come with, talking with my coworkers, but also from failures that I've had on the job. Um, I'm smart enough to know that I don't know shit. Mm-hmm. And I'm smart enough to know that I need, there's things I could always approve upon. I don't know if other people have those honest conversations with themselves. They need to. I feel like, you know, when you really look at the average police officer, um, mm-hmm. there are certain, le- certain areas of the job that need constant focus, right? Um, physical fitness, I think is, probably paramount yes i would say physical fitness i would say uh defensive tactics firearms training um book stuff you need all those right so you need all those different things like don't accept a the academy and don't accept b your yearly in-service trainings to cover it all oh yeah you need to you know get your ass to a gym get your ass to a defensive tactics of your choosing Mm-hmm. Some people don't like BJJ, some like Krav Maga, some like boxing, whatever, do one, mm-hmm. um, you know, study some case law, study some tactics that way. There, mm-hmm. There's so, you know, just, and, and get to the range, get to the range, just shoot, yep. you know, shoot, be fluent with it. Um, those are so important. And oh, yeah. they're literally things that can save your life and save your career. Yes. Period. I think the other thing too, going beyond the scope of, okay, this might get me killed. So we, we, that's the most important. We don't want to die and we don't want our, our friends to die. But the next box over, I think that people highly neglect is the law and legal stuff because the law and legal mm-hmm. stuff is constantly changing and evolving because like, like I said, you can't do shit if you, you can't undead people, right? Mm-hmm. But the next, the next layer is you need to know the confines in which you can operate in to do it effectively, yeah. right? So it doesn't matter. Oh, I just got like 30 pounds of dope off this car. That's great. But you just violated someone's fucking fourth amendment rights. Right. Now all this stuff is going to be tossed in a suppression hearing. Yeah, um, exactly. Cool. And, and there's nothing, you know, we got, I remember being on narcs and having a, a great, what I thought was a great um, shroom case. Right. And shrooms, you know, that, that's still a thing. And <laughs> right. But we were so stoked on it. Like we got the dude in a round. It was great. It was great. And we were high-fiving ourselves back to the station. The next morning, we called the, the state attorney, and they go, hey, we got to drop the charges. Yeah. We're like, what? Because there's some obscure psilocybin case law that we didn't know about, you know? Yep. And it's crazy. And just that alone killed the entire case. Everything we found suppressed. because of I, You would be amazed at how many cops, if you were to sit down and tell me, tell me what the exceptions to the search warrant requirement are. Can't fucking tell you. Crickets. 
And it's crazy. That's one of the, one of the reasons why I like the street cop training guys, because they talk about all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, they're amazing at that. But yeah, you, you guys got to understand. Yeah, that's cool that we get dope and all these things. But if, if at the end of the day, this person doesn't go away, what was it for? We violated someone's fucking rights. Now your ass is going to be up there, you know, <laughs> in a court case. Um, right. Or you know, my friends that do interdiction going through and getting dragged through the mud for suppression hearings. I haven't had, I haven't had to deal with that portion of it. I have a coworker on my squad now that has, that had to go and, you know, big, big case. And he said, it sucks. It's, it's stressful. Right. And, and you feel like you're two inches tall, like having a defense attorney, especially if it's a high dollar one and you're like, fuck, like, can this just end? Like, can we just cut this? Like, we don't want this. Stop. Yeah. And it's so bad. In the areas out here in Southern Arizona too, we, because we deal so much with the uh, cartel and narco trafficking. So a lot of these, a lot of times I haven't had to personally deal with it. Some of my coworkers have where these guys, they get these really good narco cases and they have these high priced narco attorneys. And those guys, mm-hmm. I mean, they've got like infinite amount of money at their disposal. And they're, I've had, I have had cases where they try to like, request my personal phone. Like it's, oh. and then you're like, yeah, luckily our county attorneys are awesome. Um, and it didn't go anywhere, but I mean, it's that that's scary. Yeah. Shit. Still, still puts the hair up on the back of your neck. Um, yeah. and even if you don't get to that point, even if you don't get to the point of violating someone's rights, so that way it's not, you know, state versus cat. And it's talking about all that. Yeah. You still maintain, you get this reputation that you start building with your local attorneys that are going, Oh, cat signed this. No, I know that's not going to be good. Exactly. We're just, we're just not going to file without yeah. even reading it. And that's not a good place to be in. Mm-hmm. So there's all these different things, you know, your rep- reputation precedes you mm-hmm. in every single aspect of this job. We talk about officer um, command presence, you know, when you step mm-hmm. out of the car, how your uniform looks, how you're standing. Um, but that also goes to people that have never met you. And then they get your, your court case mm-hmm. in front of them. They go, Oh, how many of these have I turned down this month? Like, that's yeah. not a good place to be in either. And that's one of the things that I like to tell new people. And this is advice that was given to me by one of my STOs. He said, the, the way that you establish yourself in the first year of career, your career is going to shadow you for the entire part of your career. So even if you were like, you were a slug the first year and you just fucking kill it for the people are going to, it's hard to shake that initial shitty reputation. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I've had cases too, where I'm like, you know what? I know there's dope here. We don't, we don't have a, there's nothing we can do. We got to let it go. You got, sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. Yeah. I'd rather be sitting on the mountain of right, having a really solid case versus having some weak ass case. That's going to get tossed and make me look like an idiot. Yeah. You know? I had, I, I've told this story before, but the, one of the last traffic stops I was a part of at my old agency, uh, I backed up a, one of our new guys and it was a, it wasn't a rental, but it was a temp tag from a different state and he kept running it and he wasn't getting anything back. And he was, he pulled it over because he, because of that all fine with that. I, I was the, the contact guy with the dude in the car. He was running the plates in the back mm-hmm. and, um, I was like, man, we got an unregistered motor vehicle. I'm looking at the dude, the driver, giving me all the signs that there's something up. Guy mm-hmm. comes back and he goes, uh, I found the plate. I was like, what do you mean you found the plate? He's like, it's good. It's registered. It's to this guy. I was like, ah, oh, I wanted yeah. it so bad. I'm yeah. like, we got to let it go. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to stretch this stop any longer because the reason you yeah. stopped him 
And I even was like, I was like, well, did he like, you know, veer off the road or any anything else? And he's like, no. So I let him go. I was like, I knew, I knew we had something good there, but it's not I mean, worth it. At the end of the day, here's the thing. Yes, it's great to get the guns and the drugs absolutely off the street. But at the end of the day, you can get them next time. Like it's absolutely. not don't don't cut corners, don't break the law that you're sworn to in, uphold and enforce mm-hmm. just to make one case that's going to get you jammed up. That's another piece of advice I'd say. Absolutely. Yeah. Because like I said, I've had those moments. I'm sure everyone has, where you look at something and you're like, this is all screaming, whatever it is, you know, all the symptoms of deception or signs and um, indicative of deception. And you, and if the person refuses consent, you have no other option, no canine, nothing. Sorry. It, yeah. it, it really do be like that. You know, Yeah, <laughs> it, it do be like that sometimes, but <laughs> at the same time, I like how we keep like going back, like, okay, this, but now we're going, it's like watching tennis. Um, <laughs> on the other side, if you if you read the case law and you know what you got, oh yeah, way, run with that. Like I had a traffic stop for an hour one time, mm-hmm. and I knew I had either a stolen vehicle or a drug case. I couldn't figure out what I had, but I was I you know I I was exhausting all options before I let these people go. Mm-hmm. And my sergeant said, came up. She's like, "You've been here for an hour. What are you doing?" And I told her what I had. She goes, "Let him go." I said, "Huh?" She's like, "Let him go." I was like, well, I'm just waiting for the attempt to contact for the registered owner of this car to come back. And then we'll go from there. And she goes, no, she's like, this is an order. Let him go. I was like, cool, cut him loose. Right. Cause at that point I was just about done with my reasonable, reasonable suspicion mm-hmm. except for that one thing, but it was, it was getting there. So I was like, all right, fine. Mm-hmm. Sure and- enough, within an hour, the registered owner finds me and goes, where's my car, bro. I was like, ah, damn it. It was, it was one of those rock rentals that, you know, she, she yeah. gave it to her ne- her niece who gave it to the dealer <laughs> and then it was gone. So that sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, and, um, I didn't really understand my first agency. It just, again, the, the population we dealt with and in doing interdiction stops and understanding like how that all, all the things that are involved and understanding it in depth. Um, one of the things that I've learned in addition to taking a ton of training about it is I like to pick people's brains that are more adept at doing these things than I do. Um, and then specifically here where I work, our canines are phenomenal at doing this stuff because they do it all day long. All they do is do interstate interdiction. Um, so one of the things I also encourage people, especially if they want to go down the path of like narcotics or interdiction type of work, people that have done the thing, if they've done the damn thing, read their fucking reports, see what they say, ask them what they're looking for. There's no harm. in, especially, I mean, it's, it's sometimes people, especially if they're old school, sometimes I might not be initially receptive to those questions. Um, but you know, I asked the guys like, Hey, when you stop this car, what were you looking for? Tell me some of the things that you were asking the driver that, you know, got you those, those reasonable suspicion to extend the duration of the traffic stop. Mm-hmm. Um, I read their reports. Um, because our guys, because that's all they do, they're phenomenal at articulating it. And it, you know, okay, when I'm doing a stop, if I want to have good, good shit, that's going to last up the court, I need to be molding my reports after this. It's a good, it's a, it's another good learning tool. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, and like you said, sometimes they may not want to talk about it because, you know, they might be salty or burnt out, whatever, but the reports are always there. So you can always kind of pick apart those. And yes, that works for drugs. That works for interdiction. But even if you, you know, aspire to be a detective, if you aspire to be a DUI cop, whatever it is, like 
find the guys that are good at it and yeah. model them just like you would be, you know, go back to going back to sports. Like if you want to be a really good, you know, basketball player, go look mm-hmm. at Michael Jordan's game film. What did he do differently? What did he do? Right. You know? And then if you find something that like, all right, well, you tried that out. It didn't really work that way. Okay. Then adjust it and make it yours. And that's the greatest part about taking trainings is you're not mm-hmm. supposed to be a copycat of Dennis, of the uh, yeah. interdiction guy of Michael Jordan. You're supposed to be the new version of it where you take a little bit of everything and make yep. it your own. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm lucky to um, our agency and I, I hope that other agencies do something like this. Um, started offering um, like a mentorship program for people that are interested in doing like exploring different parts of the agency, whether it's just like person's crimes, narcotics, whatever it is, um, which I think is really cool. It's, it's awesome because you get to temporarily you're reassigned and working alongside these guys mm-hmm. and see what they're doing firsthand. And even if it's not something you end up going to do, like at the end of all this stuff, it gives you a lot better insight because you're out there working alongside of them. It's, it's a great experience. I highly encourage it, especially for people that want to get more into the investigative side. Um, it's awesome because it opens your eyes up more. And even again, if you don't go to investigations right from the get go, it makes you a better patrol officer deputy. Cause you're like, okay, I'm doing this case that might be nothing, but I know how to take it to the next level because I've seen what happens on the other side. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, um, my new agency has that where, you know, if you want to go to street crimes or you want to go to, um, CID or training unit or whatever you can, I don't know how they do it, but they'll pick one officer per shift cycle, uh, mm-hmm. to go to that unit. If there's, if there's a space available and which is great, you know, so that way when you do your oral board to get that promotion or, yeah. you know, get that reassignment, what have you done to promote or to prepare? Absolutely. Oh, I, yep. I rode with the canine unit for six months. Oh, great. Like that's great shit. Um, but also I, I loved what you said that, you know, even if you don't get picked for that unit, when you mm-hmm. go back to patrol, a, you know what they're looking for in their reports. Yep. When I, when I went to NARCs, it was kind of like long-term investigation. It wasn't necessarily like street crimes. Yeah. So, um, I got to see, or I, I had to either read and or write my own reports that were detailed to the point of like, all right, this is going to turn into a search warrant. How do I do it? Or, you know, what do I need? So then when I went back to the road and I was just doing a simple, you know, information report on a, you know, lost bike. Hey, I had every little bit of information I could squeeze out of that lemon and it made the detective's jobs easy. It made the prosecutor's job easy. And you know, I, I remember leaving and the, the state attorney was like, really, you're, you're leaving our circuit. Like, can you not? Cause like, these are great. <laughs> and it's like, you know, so all of that is so important. Um, I took a, my, my goal, my angle when I was on the road was to be a homicide detective. That was just what I always wanted to do um, from way, way back, you know, I guess watching too much 48 hours. And yeah. um I took an interviews and in, in interrogation class oh, yeah. uh, provided by FDLE. And I learned so much in that class. And I, at first soaking it all in, it was like, well, I'm on patrol. All these guys are actual detectives. I feel yeah. way out of place, but I learned so much about like when to meet, read Miranda, when you don't have to read Miranda, like the ins and outs of it. I was like, Oh, so I would do things on the road and they, yeah. I would get stopped. Like, Oh, oh, oh. I'm like, shut, shut up, shut up. And then I would explain like, no, you can do this and that. So many things you can learn. It's like advanced learning, you know, and it's, it, mm-hmm. it can be applied at the baseline too. 
And I always like to, if I have somebody that's at a higher skill set on the investigatory side, if I'm seeing them do a, a bigger in an interview, um, Narcs is a good one. Hey, can I sit here and watch you guys interview somebody? And quite often you'll find I've taken an, an interviewing an interrogation class in, interviewing interrogations up. We don't, we don't interrogate. We interview, oh, okay. um, but to see the way that they calm people down, disarm them, talk to them before they start in with the actual interview, I'm like, okay. And even though, you know, I might not be doing that every day, those concepts are applicable certainly to dealing with people on the street. Yeah. You know, yeah. It goes, down, yeah. It goes yeah. down to just simple communication with people. You learn how to like calm them down because if someone's all the way up at level 12, they're not going to give you anything worth talking about. If you bring them back down to one or mm-hmm. somewhere close to one, you might actually get useful inf- information. Going back to the beginning of the conversation where I said I was part of the crime scene unit, I got to sit in on a lot of homicide or high level interviews because mm-hmm. I was either waiting to take some evidence off of them or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was just fascinating watching our, our you know major case detectives mm-hmm conduct these interviews and there was one stop i made in patrol it was this guy was doing a rash of um business burglaries and stealing their cash register stealing their merchandise just whatever and we finally got him i was the transporting officer i took him to the station brought him upstairs and i got to sit and watch the interview it was right either before or after halloween so there was a bunch of candy in the offices mm-hmm. so the guy was like man i'm starving you guys got anything no problem speak. boss they go and they get him like a whole bunch of Snickers and Reese's and everything. And he eats and they, they just leave it. He goes, mm-hmm. he eats, he eats, he eats. Suddenly, oh, you're the dude that like fed me. Let me, let me tell you some things. That's exactly. And it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, one of the, one of my um, uh, lieutenants who just left our region, he is amazing. Shout out. I hope he listens to this. I learned so many things from him because he worked narcs, gangs, all those other things. That's one of the things that he talks about. Like, you know, you're dealing with these people like, that they live that street life. They don't, they don't know when the next time they're going to eat is. So for something as simple as, Hey dude, are you freaking hungry? Let me get you some food. Well, that's one of the things that I took away from him. Cause he's, I mean, he's done the damn thing. Like he's been a street cop his entire career. Mm-hmm. So listening to some of those experiences, exactly mirroring what you said. Yeah. It's awesome. So, mm-hmm. and I also too, that's the other point I was going to make. So mentorship doesn't necessarily have to come at like a patrol officer, deputy, or detective level. There's been so many people that I'm really fortunate that I've worked with that are on like a higher level. You know, the conversation might be a little bit different because they're an admin, but if they've done the damn thing, ask them, Hey dude, I heard that you used to be like a hardcore gang and narcs detective. Tell me about it. How did you get there? What was the steps that took you from point A to point Z to get you there? Yeah. You'd be, and it's awesome. It is. And I feel like so many people get afraid of that ivory tower. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to talk to admin or anything. Um, you got to understand, right? Like admin may not want to hear from you if you're just coming to bitch, right? They, they, that's, that's where the open door policy closes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, next week I will be launched. I will be doing part two of my leadership episode where we talk about just that, but as far as like talking to like the, you know, if you see an old man in a young man's game, that's the guy you want to talk to. Like he's seen some shit. He's done some shit. And especially, you know, if he's, he's decorated, if he's in a admin position, mm-hmm. that means like 
he's still doing well. You know, he's not just the burnt out guy that's that's waiting to retire. Yeah. So that's an, it's important to try to get that information while you can, because you may not have it. He may be right around the corner from retiring. So, and then I guarantee you when he hangs it up, he's done. He doesn't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. So. It's funny that you mentioned that quote being an old man and young man's game. Cause there's somebody at my agency that that has said those things, you know, you know, point blank. He says that all the time. So having those people that are good, you know, sources of information. Yeah. Once they freaking leave and they punch it out of law enforcement, you know, they're taking, they're trusting us to take over that next generation of law enforcement. So all that, you know, knowledge and wisdom that they've gained, you know, I try to, as much as I can pick people's brains and learn it from them. And from all that, those things that they've done that I might not have necessarily done so I can apply them and like, you know, maybe not make the same mistakes or I don't know. It's, it's good. It's a, it's a different angle that I think people kind of miss sometimes. And I'm lucky yeah. just because of where I'm at. That I know that, you know, <laughs> some agencies don't have that ability, especially like a lot a larger ones. So I'm fortunate that we have admin that's so they're they're all pretty much street cops through and through. Mm-hmm. And they're they're more accessible and more open to that. Right. And and to talk about the the larger agencies, you know, in NYPD or Chicago or something or LAPD, <laughs> you know. Okay, yeah, you may not be able to talk to your major or your captain, but mm-hmm. if you go to just whoever's in your precinct in your station, I'm sure there's someone senior and salty enough there that mm-hmm. can tell you some stuff and learn you good. And mm-hmm. you know, take it from where you can get it. Don't be like, oh, I can't talk to the chief. Okay, well, get it to where you can. I mean, you never yeah, know. Yeah. And you know, I've always I've I've always just been a friendly guy. So I'm always open to talk to people. I keep to myself, yeah. but I'll always, you know be like hey how you doing and you know that's gotten me to friendly conversations with chiefs with captains whatever Mm -hmm. and then you know when they go you know how are things going you need anything you'd be like you know what boss as a matter of fact i'm looking into go to narcs right now uh i know you worked narcs a long time ago you know don't say it that way he'll probably take that offensive but just (laughs) you know i know you you used to run narcs back in the day you know what are some things you know for me to get it you know it's just so easy to open that conversation like yep when they say like hey is there anything you need don't be like oh well you know if my uniforms can fit a little bit stop that's not what they that's where they shut down that's where admin says i don't want to listen to this anywhere you're just gonna bitch yep but if you want to talk like the job stuff or like family stuff i've never seen it well you'd be hard pressed to find an admin and be like no i'm not going to talk to you about it Mm -hmm. i mean there's an exception to every rule right so there may be the one that's going to be a dick about it but you miss every shot you don't take so why not? Why not? Why not? Yeah. And, and I, like I said, I like to learn things from everyone in, I've mentioned this before, even with not so much here, but where I first started out people that I didn't particularly care for that. I don't like the way they operate. I learned from that. Yeah. I learned from failure. Like when I tested for SWAT and I epically failed. Okay. It's so easy to focus on the man. I shit the bed that I did terrible. And I, I hate, I hate that, you know, no one likes failing, of course, but one of the things that I, that was so interesting to me is the, the feedback that I received after that failure was actually really positive. It wasn't like, Oh, you shit the bed. You're, you know, get the fuck. We never, we never want to see you again, get the fuck out of here. It was, you know what you went in there. We know that you worked your ass off. These are some of the things that you need to work on and you finished it which other people couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And so there's always an, there's always a learning opportunity 
whether it's positive or negative. It's the way I try to look at it. Yeah. And, and that, that's a great segue because before we press record, we were talking about mentality and the Mm -hmm. mindset when you're going into something tough, something difficult. And you were saying that you had previous experience doing, um, distance running. Right. And, and Mm -hmm. you you had a very good quote that I kind of paraphrased. So I want you to kind of go and talk about that. So I always like to say, and distance running is a perfect metaphor. Law Mm -hmm. enforcement is a marathon, right? It's not, it's not a quick sprint. You're going to be here for 25 to life. So take your time, you know, and everybody, when they get out of the Academy, they want to run and gun, which is great. You know, do it while you got the energy. But at the same time, I'm always like, Hey, don't, don't burn it all out in the first five minutes. Like gotta, you gotta pace yourself. So what, what did you learn from your history or your past of distance running that you told me you applied to life? It's interesting. Distance running isn't necessarily about the race, right? You know, cause you, you can only run physically so far. So it's a mental game because after a while, okay, 5k. Okay. You might be tired as fuck, but now I'm thinking, okay, I need to go the next 50 feet, a hundred feet, you know, um, the next mile, the next two miles. So I'm always focused on the short-term goals. Um, because when you have your mind, that's when your mind is in the game, you'd be surprised at how far the rest of you can go. And I have a funny story about this. Mm-hmm. I know we didn't talk about this before, but this is one of my like mind over matter type of thing. When I first, first started doing cross country running, <laughs> it's hardcore. Mm-hmm. Um, I did this race and I was like, I want to win a t-shirt or something silly and, and not, you know, dumb. So I remember getting out of the gate. My first mile time was like 625 crazy or like, you know, six minutes or something. And I wanted to win so fucking bad. I wanted, I wanted that goal so fucking bad that I didn't realize I woke up like, you know, 15, 20 minutes later with ice in my pants. I was like, what the fuck happened? What I didn't realize is like, I had heat exhaustion and, uh, you know, I wanted it so bad. All those other physical things. Like I know now I was like, Oh yeah, I was going unconscious because I'm like having tunnel vision and I'm losing my like you know, I have an auditory exclusion, uh-huh. but in that point one and that particular race was uphill. So my dad told me, my dad was like, Hey, I knew there was something wrong by looking at your face, but he's like, you fell down, you got up and I could tell you wanted it so bad because you got back up and you kept going. You fell down again. You got back up. And then the third time you fell, they pulled you off the course. But my point was, is that if you want something so fucking bad, you can, you'd be amazed at how much you can physically you can physically will yourself to do if your mind is in the game. Yeah. Right. Your, your body's going to quit. Well, your mind's originally going to quit before your body, right? You're going to have that internal monologue saying like, oh man, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. Then your body keeps doing it. You're like, okay, maybe, maybe we can do it a little bit more. And then at that point, when you reach, so I'm, I'm reading 75 hard by Andy Frisella. And he's like, when you shut Mm -hmm. up that bitch voice, that initial bitch voice that says we're done. Right. And you push it a little bit more. Then you're like, mm-hmm. oh shit, we got this. Then you're going to get to where you said in the race where you're like, no, I'm going to keep pushing it. And then your body's going to quit before your spirit does. And I, I witnessed that in, in training. I witnessed that with uh, a buddy of mine who was like sick, right? He, he was not mm-hmm. feeling well. And he was like, he's like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta take five. And this, the sergeant was like, no, 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 you don't keep pushing. And he mm-hmm. ended up passing out exact same part of your story right it was that Mm -hmm. you you know you get that initial like oh i don't know if i can go anymore 
you push a little bit further and then your body goes, mm-hmm. all right, now we need the TO. But mm-hmm. it's so important to work on building that mindset. And just the just yesterday, um, I just I just started getting into CrossFit. I am far from an expert. Yes! Yes! <laughs> I'm far from good at it. I'm scared, I'm I'm RXing everything, but that's fine. Or scaling down everything. I'm scaling down everything. Yeah. But um we had the the what was it, the CrossFit games yesterday. And mm-hmm. me and my partner were doing it. And um my mind, my head was getting in my way. I'm like, oh boy, I, I don't know if I can do any more of these box jumps or whatever. Yeah. And and my coach was like, stop fucking listening to your brain, just keep doing. And mm-hmm. I ended up doing like three more rounds than I would have had I just yep. listened to my brain. Yep. You'd be you'd be amazed at how far you can push yourself. And then similarly, I don't think a lot of people have ever pushed themselves to that point where they don't know where that boundary is for them. I know where that boundary is for myself. You know what I mean? And I always joke, you know, even if you push past that boundary, you're unconscious. So does it, does it fucking matter? Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's, I, a, that's a really, I, I don't recommend that for like just general sports and like, like pushing yourself to the point of going unconscious. But I mean, my point is like, I've pushed myself to that point. I know where my limits are at. Yes. So when it applies to the job is that I might not be the fastest or the strongest or the biggest. And people, for some reason, always think I'm like super fucking tall. Bro, I'm like five foot five and I'm 145, 150 on a good day now because of working out. I'm not a very big person, mm-hmm. but similarly, I, I will fucking, if you want to fight, we're going to fight until, you know, both of us either one or both are fucking on the ground you know, we're going to, we're going to do the thing to the death. Yeah. So I was, I was just talking to someone today who said that in training, she was, she's five, two. I don't know how much she said she weighed, but she's five, two. She said when she was an FTO, they call her spider monkey because if she had to yep. get someone on the ground, she would jump on their back and just take them down. I was oh, like, yeah. that's, that's the grit. That's, that's what you want. Right. Mm-hmm. And the one, the only like devil's advocate disclaimer, I would say to what we're saying is don't have tombstone courage, right? Don't go into something knowing, Hey, yeah. I'm going to die. If I go in there, cause that's not the point at the end of the day, we want everyone to go yeah. home safe and sound. Absolutely. But what we're saying is don't bitch out either. Mm-hmm. Well, cause like, you know, I've, I, I mean, the majority of the fights that I have are either with myself or maybe one other person. And I mean, it's like you and them. And I'm like, I'm sorry, dude. Like I like us more than I like you. So if you're going to push me to that point, we're going to do it. You know, it's sometimes, unfortunately, or fortunately, sometimes physical conflict is unavoidable. It really is. And people have to understand that part of the job. And that was one of the things kind of getting back to what we were talking about before and like training and the academy stuff that I was so amazed with. I'm not hating any of the people I went to the academy with, but there were some big ass, big ass dudes and their brain going into like the DT room doing Redman. It's like they're like, they just relied their whole entire life on their strength. And once they started getting gas, it's just like their brain just like melted. Mm-hmm. Whereas me, like, I know I already knew getting in there. Strength is not going to be on my side, right? Endurance is going to be on my side. But with that, I know this is going to suck. I know I'm going to get hit in the face. I don't have a fucking choice. It really, sometimes it, it's really like that. People have to understand that physical conflict is part of the job. Mm-hmm. And I liked what you said before we press record saying that like you we were talking about erica in her class where she 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 made you put your hand in the ice and you know mm-hmm. you there were two ways to look at it right either oh fuck oh fuck this is really cold my hand hurts it hurts it hurts it hurts or and this is the one i like is well it's gonna this be over temp- in 30 seconds this is temporary yep. and if we look at everything 
in life like that, everything is temporary, right? The only thing that's permanent is death. So if you look at everything and I, and, and I had used the example when we were talking before recording OC, right? That was the biggest, that, that was, <laughs> that was my bitch voice in, in the, in the beginning, uh, in the Academy, yeah. we didn't get sprayed in the face. We only, we got exposed. It, it was bitchy, but when I got hired <laughs> by my agency sprayed in the face, like three times. And yeah. I remember like, so we had three exposures. One was, um, like area exposure, like, you know, just spraying the rug around us as we fought next was, um, indirect exposure. Cause it was going on our chest and we were going to try to like wrestle then the next one was the direct right on across the face Mm -hmm. so i got to that point where i was he was about to spray me in the face and i'm like i don't know how i feel about this i was like (laughs) like like this is the moment i'm not sure yeah this is where this is where the the bitch voice was like coming up and it came out my mouth and Mm -hmm. my training instructor was like all right you know he 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 hyped me up i was Mm -hmm. like fuck yeah let's do it and yeah and it worked right and as I was doing it, right, as my face burned, my eyes felt like it was cemented shut and I was in pain and I couldn't breathe. All I kept thinking was, all right, this is going to be over soon, right? Like 10 more seconds. And I kept looking for like 10 more, you know, and then it, then it's over, right? And here I am seven, eight years later, no issue. You know what I mean? So think about that every single time something bad or something difficult is coming across you, whether it's like a SWAT tryout, right? Because I know those are friggin' terrible mm-hmm. um or just a really bad call or something everything is temporary yep. and including and since i'm big on mental health bad days are temporary too they go away too yes and i like to tell that to people to apply that to like newer people getting into this profession so i always have people reach out like hey i'm going to the academy what are some of, what's some good advice for me and some of the best advice that was ever given to me if you apply that on like a very micro level Getting through the academy is going to suck. It sucks for different people for different reasons. Um, so for me, I'm like, okay, today's going to be a shitty day. I know we're going to do whatever. I'm going to focus on getting through this day hour by hour. Okay. I made hour one. I'm going to make it through to lunchtime, right? Yeah. So I'm going to get lunchtime. I'm going to focus on getting through the end of the day. So for us, like the big thing, um, I, I'm pretty sure most academy students like red man day. Mm-hmm. So like, that's like the, we get a book, um, here in Arizona, it has like the schedule of everything like OC red man, defensive tactics when you're doing what? So everyone either goes to OC or they go to the red man day, you know, red man, where you do all these different scenarios, get the fuck beat out of you. I went to Phoenix PD's Academy. I got the shit kicked out of me, but I remember thinking to myself, like, okay, this, when that day came up, I was like, okay, I need to get through this scenario. Right. I got through the scenario. Check it out. I'm still standing upright. I got it through this next scenario. Check it out. It sucked. I feel like shit. I need to get to this next one. And if you have to break it down, like to that level, do it. And you could really apply that. You could, I mean, you could expound that to like, just I'm having a bad day. I just need to get through to lunch or whatever, whatever it is. Look at it at a micro level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I've, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about breaking down on, on like a depressed day, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, I got out of bed, you know, or I'm sitting upright. I got out of bed. I got to the shower. I turned the shower, like each step. Hey, good job. Good job. Good job. Or mm-hmm. even for, um, there's so many, we can apply this in every single way. Right. Um, mm-hmm. the gym, like, Oh man, I haven't been in the gym in, in weeks and months. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, did you go yesterday? Yes. That's the win. Did you go two days in a row? That's a win. Like, 
just mm-hmm. keep breaking it down. You did one or whatever. Um, the other training idea I was thinking was, and I said it before, simunitions, right? I oh, hate yeah. simunitions. I love simunition training. Yes. No. So like for me, <laughs> I, that was my thing. Like, oh, simunition uh, scenario one. All right, let's just get through it. All right. 10 welts. Not too bad. We're still good. And the analogy that I came up with last night was, as I was suffering through the CrossFit games, I was thinking about this. I said, in active shooter training or in simunition training, we do not train to die, right? When you get shot, you keep going, you keep fighting, you stay in the fight. Mm-hmm. Think about that as your everyday rule of thumb. I'm not training to die. Keep pushing forward. And yeah. that, <laughs> that little like mantra that I came up with during the CrossFit thing, like keep pushing, you're not dead, keep going. Mm-hmm. Just if you keep repeating that to yourself, I feel like... Oh, yeah. The moment, like, you think you're at rock bottom, and it's like, no, because I'm thinking about it. I'm obviously not dead. Keep pushing. One of the things I used to tell myself, and it sounds so cheesy, when I was in high school and I was running competitively, I was, like, huge, huge into running, um, is I would tell myself, and this sounds so silly, I love running. I'm here voluntarily and under my own free will, and I love this, and this is what I like to do. And I would literally tell, and it sounds kind of silly when you say that, or even, like, going to the range. I'm going to have a great day today at the range. I might make some mistakes, but I'm going to do well today at the range. And it's, it sounds really cheesy saying those things out loud, writing them physically down. Mm -hmm. There's a connection in between when I'm writing something down, that's positive in my brain. Um, it's, it's the same type of thing. So whatever way you need to get through bad shit, even if it's a bad day, you know, that helps. Yeah. That sounds cheesy, but it, it, yeah but it's it works and uh i don't know about a month ago maybe a few months ago now at this point uh i had a lady on and we talked about guided meditation and we talked about mindfulness and sometimes you know what we got to embrace kind of the the touchy feely side of us breathe a little bit and like focus on whatever positives we can get out of it so if it's just saying to yourself you know what i like doing this why am I freaking out about this? And mm-hmm. suddenly the overanalyzing or the intrusive thoughts, which I'm guilty of, they go mm-hmm. away. They wither away. And mm-hmm. as my dad said, or used to say all the time, you wasted a good worry. So, you know, mm-hmm. you just, you just break it all down. And- One of the things um, I had a really good thought. I didn't get a t- chance to talk about it in the last podcast that I had done, but I, I like to use this as a rubric for how I should do things. And again, the way I should do things sometimes comes in conflict with the way I do things like just relationships, emotionally, whatever, you know, sometimes because we're human, I like to look at things. If I was dealing with myself on a call. Mm-hmm. So if I, I, you know, Kat, the cop was talking to myself, dealing with personal problems, life problems, what advice would I give myself? And when you think about that and you look at what you're actually doing and the discord sometimes between the two, it makes, it puts things in perspective for you. Yeah. It's one of the good, this is one of the things I like to do to hold myself accountable as well. And again, I'm not perfect. God forbid. Um, but it, it's, it gives you kind of like a, Hmm, something to think about. It's a, it's a good way to like, kind of check the temperature of the room be like, wait a second, what's going on here? Exactly. The other week or so ago, I was in the same boat. I was kind of down in the dumps for whatever reason. And I was like, well, what, you know, I'm not following my own advice that I give on this podcast or that I say to people all the time. And I'm like, 
first off, that makes me a hypocrite. So that pissed me off first. <laughs> but then I'm like, all right, well, if I'm giving this advice to pure strangers, why don't there's there's a quote and I'm gonna misquote it, so I might have to superimpose it right here. But um, you know, we we love ourselves more than we love other people, but why do we trust other people's opinions more than we trust our own? And Absolutely. it's like, you know, we really need to start embracing the advice that we would give other people on ourselves. You know, sometimes yeah. I had someone once say, you know, when you point at somebody, there's still fingers pointing right back at you. Take your own advice. It's okay. Like, especially those of us in law enforcement or in first responders where like, you know, we, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. <laughs> it's coming from a reliable source. It's not Jimmy the crackhead saying, hey, man, you should do this. No, like you're a professional who has been around whatever the problem is. Mm-hmm. You know, give yourself some credit. You're, you're going to get through this and you're going to make the right decision. Yeah, it's, it's something like I said, when you when I said that out loud um, with um with Kevin that does the blue line millennial podcast, we, we talked about it after we did a taping and he's like, Holy shit. I feel like we could do an entire podcast about that. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, it, I don't think I've ever said it in such a succinct way where it makes you go, huh? And again, it shows you sometimes there's discord in between what we would tell the people at work and how we would handle our own personal relationships or family situations or whatever. And it's a way of holding ourselves accountable. Yeah, so. absolutely. And you know, I talk about it on here a lot, how cops negatively cope with a lot of stuff that's going on. Yeah. Oh Um, yeah. You know, whatever job stress, life stress, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you think about like alcohol, right? If you got, if you go out on a, on an intoxicated person call or something like that, like think about what you would tell that guy or girl that you're interacting with or, or not even maybe what you would say to them, but what you would think, right? Cause I've been out on, on drunk person calls. You're like, bro, how'd you get here? And if I were me and I was having a, having one too many drinks, one too many nights, I'd be like, bro, how'd you get here? And it's Mm -hmm. just what you need to break down. And, you know, we know ourselves way better than anybody else. And I'm not, I, I, disclaimer is that I don't want to say, you know, if you're having an issue or whatever, that you're a bad person, like, you know, sometimes your brain takes over or your irrational brain takes over and addiction comes in or whatever but you got to try to like dial it back and be like, hold on a second, start thinking logically and be like, all right, this is healthy. This is good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, these are, this was great. I did. We went into this, not really knowing what we were going to talk about. And we talked about so many great things. This is great. Yes. Um, Kat, this is absolutely amazing. Um, I, I showed you the questions people gave me. They sucked. Um, if you're, okay. if you're, yeah, did anyone send you anything? Let me see if anyone sent me anything. I didn't really have that much feedback because I kind of did it the last second. So let me see. Um, someone said, talk about me. Strange and unusual stuff you see at work. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we talk about strange and unusual. I think the, the body decomp stuff is yeah, pretty good. Yeah, that's probably the, the top yeah. of it. I mean, that or people tripping. Um I'm trying to think of other crazy things that I've the, seen. The person that said to talk about me is my friend Ruben Alvarez. So what up, Ruben? He's awesome. RBJJ, I think is his Instagram page. He's a fucking super dope dude. Met him down in the shot show. Really awesome, hardworking guy, down to earth, super awesome, was a professional fighter, did, did, does the cop stuff. Super great guy. Nice. And like I just he's like a genuinely good human being. So Ruben, what up? What up? <laughs> um 
Yeah, and I'm just trying to think. The craziest things I've seen on the job have been the dead bodies, the decomp, the crazy ways people die. Everybody's always naked when they die. I don't know if they like they get a premonition like, all right, time to take off the clothes, time to go to the toilet. Um, I was going to say, the sorry, I had to interrupt. No, (laughs) so funny. This just popped in my brain. So in the last podcast I did, I talked about when I was working in um, jail prison, I had a dude that put dominoes in the shaft of his penis. Oh, because he wanted to be deported and have his dick be ribbed for his lady's pleasure. Right. So I had somebody message me on Instagram that also does like detention and transport. He's like, I've seen it. I was like, thank you. It's not just like me. I like, so this, this is like a thing by the way. So I, I love that I mentioned that and somebody else has seen it also, which made me, my experience feel a little bit more valid. Wow. Okay. So I do know that I've got quite a few detention guys that follow me and they get pissed because I don't talk about detention stuff. So we might have to have you back on and we'll do a full hour, a full hour on detention. But um, if anyone's come across Domino Dick, message Kat and let her know. I, you know what? Like seriously, straight up, shout out to all the people that do detention and like COs and whatnot. Because I could I never. Did- I, I did detention for a little bit. Um, and it's, it's shitty. I mean, you're, you're pretty much working in, in jail or prison and I did it in like a different capacity because it's immigration. But I mean, I've got a ton of friends on, you know, on Instagram in real life, my girl, Ursula, she's a, a DO. What up? Um, yeah, they, they are dealing with people in the controlled environment with like less tools and shit that we do. And so it really comes down to interpersonal communication skills. And I think for mm-hmm. people, Wanting to get into law enforcement, it's a good thing if you haven't had the ability to have a lot of interaction with people that are shitty. Shitty is a that have done bad stuff. Yeah. We'll say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. so it's it helps you build your communication skills. So sure. I have bad props all with people that are doing that every day. Absolutely. I did uh prisoner transport and that was enough for me, which oh, yeah. that was that was my department's way of going, all right. Um you are kind of a little too green. So we're going to, yeah. we're going to toughen you up a little bit, give you <laughs> yeah. some prisoners. And I mean, that I was, I mean, by the end of my, my turn on the prisoner transport, I was, I was, I was murking bitches. I was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> because they can, those guys, they're, they're good because I mean, all they do, I mean, you think about it, they're, they're, you know, locked up all day. That's all they do is study people. So they pick up on new people. They pick up and manipulate and they're really, really good. So if you're not on your shit, They'll run game on you. Oh yeah. So it's a really good experience, especially for newer people getting that exposure. Cause I mean, I grew up in a different environment and I had different experiences prior to becoming a cop. So, I mean that some of that stuff wasn't new to me, but for people that have had no experience or like, just like, I've just worked a corporate job. It's, it's beneficial. <laughs> oh yeah. It'll definitely teach you if you're worth your salt. That's for sure. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it'll 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 break that window wide open and be like, oh, this is this is the world. Okay, this is nice. It's it's like a different universe of stuff. Yeah, it, yeah. I I couldn't do it. I've always I've always given mad props to the guys that work corrections, DOC. Mm-hmm. Every I just couldn't even like um, I don't know. Even probation's a weird game. Like I I feel like that's kind of weird and kind of uncomfortable too. A couple too. of friends, a couple of girlfriends that work probation um and they're overworked. They just don't have enough resources. Um and then I had a gal, she's not doing that anymore, managing sex offenders. That's Ooh. a whole other yeah yucky no thank you. I nope. don't want to do that job. My um when I worked narcs, our sergeant was also in charge of the uh sex offender verifications. So we had to do mm-hmm. those a lot. And you know 
at that point, it's like, all right, dude, what'd you do? Like, I see you every freaking two months. What'd you, you know, and you start talking to people. And I mean, some, some of the people you don't want to hear the stories, like you get kind of an idea on the rap sheet, like, all right, I don't care. But there's yeah. one, like, you know, he was 18, got popped with a girl that was 17. Like, dude, what happened? Like ha- how, and you know, that's interesting, you know, not obviously I don't want to talk about kitty touchers. I'm not whatever, but yeah, as far as like being their probation guy that they go check to and whatever. Um, I had a guy on the podcast last year who his job, he was a forensic psychologist and would interview serial killers or death row inmates. Yep. I couldn't do it, but I'm glad he did because I learned so much from him and I've actually got his book up on my shelf here. Mm-hmm. Cool stuff. Same thing with the sex offender people and the probation. Like I'm glad to mind- learn about it, but it's not for me. Is it the guy that wrote the Mindhunter book? No, no, very okay. similar, but um, different. Idea. Say, I probably have read the book too. But no, yeah, no, I- different guy. He's from uh, he's from down here in Florida, but yeah, good stuff. Uh, all right, Kat, we're gonna call it a night. This was this was a lot of fun. Uh, we got to do a round two now that you know we've uh, kind of to. we've hit the ground running um, for sure. If people want to get in touch with you, they want to shoot the shit with you. They got questions. I want to tell you about domino penises. Uh, where do we find you? Um, at pew pew. So p e w p e w goddess. Um, and like I said, I, I try to respond to my DMs as much as I can. Obviously, when I'm working crazy hours, it's hard for me. Um, but I, I mean, I love talking to people from all around the country. And if you guys have any advice, if I don't know something, I will put you in touch with someone that can. Um, yeah. So when I don't post anything that's remotely cool or sexy, it's just usually weird selfies and me in the gym and me at the range. <laughs> so if you're expecting something salacious, I hate to disappoint y'all. She's no. not the one, but if you want, <laughs> if you want the grit, the good stuff, the this grit. is the place yeah. to go. Absolutely. All right, Kat, this is great. Thank you so much for talking with me. Everybody listening, stay tuned. We'll be right back. And uh, Kat, we'll talk to you soon. go ahead and agree that cat is the true badass bitch that i built her up to be and furthermore we need more female operators like her and guess what there are plenty of them out there i've talked to many of them through the instagram uh you know they reach out and you know some of them they like when i point out that hey these females are bastardizing the female name in law enforcement and it's unacceptable because they're like, yo, it's making it harder for us to seem legit. To which I reply, I know. 
I know, that's why I'm poking fun at it. You know, it's crazy, because memes have kind of, like, replaced the political cartoon, where, you know, it would be, like, a funny picture or a funny drawing or whatever, and it would actually have some serious meaning. And that, to me, that's how the memes have become to me. I mean, yes, I do make the silly pictures, too, but a lot of them have some kind of meaning, and I'm actually trying to say something with, you know, the little tiny image that I'm putting together. I know it's not much, but it's honest work, you know? <laughs> Is it honest work, though? I make most of them while sitting on the toilet. Like, it's really not that hard, guys. But you guys get some value out of it, apparently, and I appreciate it. So that being said, I know that some of the memes piss you off. And then what I always say is, if it applies to you and it pisses you off, figure out why it's pissing you off. Because I guarantee you, it's not because Mr. Me made the meme. No, it's because something you're doing in your life that you're trying to, like, gaslight. And I hate using that term because I don't even really know what it really means. Um, You're trying to make it seem like I'm the bad guy when truly you're unhappy with your own behavior and your own actions. So maybe dial it in there, Sparky. Just... Just thoughts. Food for thought. Anyway, guys, that concludes the episode for today. It was absolutely a pleasure to speak to Kat. And uh, we're going to have her on again soon because I just enjoy talking to her that much. If you know somebody that should be on the podcast that, you know, I get I get a lot of... Um, or I try to get a lot of personalities. You know, the guys that have the big pages, the girls that have the big pages. I try to get them. Or someone that I may know personally or have been uh, networked with. But... What I wanted to do in the beginning of the year was just talk to plain old cops, you know, just cops that do their job, they do it well, and just kind of shoot the shit with them. Uh, Poorly Made kind of does that now on his show, so I don't, I kind of went away from that idea, and he was trying to do like all 50 states, which was what I was trying to do, so whatever. But if you know someone that's like significant, like, hey, this person's done something, let me know. The 108 podcast at gmail.com is the direct email to the podcast. Not that. 108 memes at gmail.com doesn't come directly to me as well, but it's easy for me to look for like podcast stuff on one email and just general meme and merch stuff on the other one. Speaking of merch, the merch store is 10-8-memes.ecwid.com. Go ahead and check it out. Uh, we've got orders that need to ship out. We're, we're playing catch up with some of the shirts getting reprinted. So once we get all squared away with that, I'll let you know. Also, come to think of it, I'm, I'm due for some cups to show up in the mail, too. I gotta reach out to Canuck Canada. Canuck Canada! They are making some great cups, eh? If you've had one, if you got a Goons Cup from me, post a picture, tag me in it, and I will share it. And if you haven't, hit me up, go to the website, pre-order yours, and I'll send it as soon as I get my shipment in. What else? Next week! Next week is a very big episode. We're talking, like, almost three hours worth of content, probably a little bit more with my intro and outro. It is the leadership episode part two. If you haven't go back and listen to last August's uh, leadership episode where we had Kevin Malone, Tom Rizzo, George Frannick, and Kevin. I think that was it. It was just the big three and myself. And it was great. It was supposed to be Lamont Quarker from California as well, but he couldn't make it. He had uh, he had court, but this time it is five amazing leaders in law enforcement. We've got Lamont Quarker. He's a lieutenant in California. We have Kevin Malone, an undersheriff in Nevada. We've got Ke- uh, sorry Tom Rizzo, who is a captain in New Jersey and is also a street cop instructor. And then we've got George Frannick, a sergeant in Connecticut. And joining us for the very first time, we have Michelle, a lieutenant from Florida. It's awesome. 
It is so cool. So much to take out of it. And uh, I've been making like little video clips. So you'll be seeing those on Instagram in the coming week. So, all that being said, guys, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. The music today, uh, we had Eminem, Lose Yourself. Then we had the band called Dollskin and their song Love Is Dead and We Killed Her. And we're going to wrap it up with a band called Stand Atlantic and their song Death Wish. Thank you guys so much for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, and share. And as always, take care of each other. Stay safe. We'll see you next week, folks. Take care. 10-8, out! You make my head spin God knows I can't win I don't know what I'm doing I think I got a fucking death wish It's got me head sick If I can't win, I'm losing To a fucking death wish I don't wanna suffer All the stupid things that you said Why don't you dig the grave big enough for us? Yeah, yeah Think I'm losing something that I didn't know I could have I'll be drinking your sway Till we're fucking dead, yeah Kissing the Yeah, kiss